0: This is the Oceans Church podcast, where we believe in connecting people to Jesus, the one who changes it all. To learn more about Oceans, view upcoming events, or find info about ways to give, please visit oceanschurch.org. Thanks for visiting the podcast. Enjoy today's message. Wow. Y'all are too kind. Chill out. Don't hype me up too much. It almost felt normal having Jamie doing the announcements again. It's like when I first started coming to Oceans a few years ago, all felt right, and then I came up here. So this feels a little bit weird. If it feels weird for you, it feels weird for me too. Um, But you guys are just really, truly the best church family ever. I hope we tell you guys that enough. Like, I love getting to worship with you guys. Like uh, Jamie said, I have a few different roles here at the church, but really we just put it under the title of Connections Director. But sometimes you'll see me up here singing on the worship team which is always so much fun. Or maybe you'll see me at the tent meeting new people, helping them get plugged into the church, which is always so much fun. Um, One of the funnest things I get to do here, my husband and I, we get to help lead the young adults here at Oceans Church. Shout out to the young adults in the room. Are y'all out there? I see you. I see you. They're just the best community. And I, I think you guys have probably noticed when you walk into Oceans, you're like, man, there's like a bunch of young people here. Um, which we know is a huge blessing. We know that that's not the case in a lot of churches across the U.S. So we know that the Lord is doing something through this generation. If you're in your 20s, come hang out with us on Tuesday nights at Oceans. Come to the tent. Come see me after. But shout out to my husband. Today is our two-year wedding anniversary. <laughs> Crazy people always think I'm like married to Jonathan Rigby, who does worship or something. My husband is in the back room running my slides. Thank you, John. He's the best. Uh, we got married two years ago at Oceans today, and Pastor Michael, so kindly, I said, hey, I don't want to break, break the bank on a wedding in Destin, so he was like, use the church. I was like, okay. I took over the whole church for a week, and he learned his lesson. He didn't really do that ever again. He was like, yeah, that was a lot. Um, so we're really fortunate we got to kind of slide in there before he learned his lesson, but Oceans just has been such a huge blessing to John and I, and If I'm not here on a Sunday, then I'm usually at Chick-fil-A Destin. I get to do HR over there. So I work for some two anointed houses of the Lord, if you know what I'm saying. I know, I really, I love my jobs. They don't even feel like work to me. I'm very blessed. But a little bit about me, my parents were first-generation Christians, so they took that role really seriously. I was homeschooled. Any homeschoolers here? Come on. Thank you. Is that Shaughnessy? What's up, bro? yes homeschool squad. I loved being homeschooled, man. I got to like hang out with the adults all the time. Going to the grocery store was like math class. It was awesome. Um, Watching Little House on the Prairie in the morning. I was like, this is history, mom. This counts. Uh, But I loved it. I really enjoyed it. And that meant that we were at church pretty frequently. And I loved church. I got to do all my socializing at church. If you can tell, I kind of like people a little bit. And so any Bible study, youth worship, like girls in action, let's go, Bible drill, I was there. I got saved at nine years old, and praise the Lord. Um, but as I started growing up, as so happens as we age, right, and the world start, you know, we're in the world more, is some temptation, some desires started to creep into my life. And scripture tells us that those breed way and give way to sin. And that was definitely the case in my life as well. And scripture also tells us that that ultimately leads to death. And so for a while, I was just struggling in my sin. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll just keep this portion of my life separate from Christ. Because if, on all appearances, I look like a good Christian girl, you know, from the outside, I ain't getting in trouble at the house then like, I'll just keep that 5% tucked aside and I'll serve God in 95% of my life, but I'm gonna keep that part separate. So for a lot of my adolescent years, I really struggled with dating and boundaries within dating and relationships. And I just kind of tried to keep that tucked away until I couldn't really dodge the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of me anymore. And he was pretty much like, Alicia, get it together. You know, this isn't right. You know, you shouldn't be dating this person. And I was like, ah. Okay, I, I will, I'll break up with him. And I remember just bawling my eyes out in my bed one night. I was 23 years old. And I just called out to the Lord and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God. Like, his, his grace led me uh, to repentance. Praise the Lord. And I just remember being like, man, I'm so sorry. Like, I know I've been living for myself. I know I haven't let you have complete control of my life. So, God, I'm going to give you 100%. I don't want the 5% anymore. I see that that's led to heartbreak, and I see that that's not you trying to keep me from having fun or enjoyment. It's you trying to keep me safe and to preserve my heart. And so I gave that to the Lord, and I said, all right, God, you can use me however you want to use me. I'll do whatever. You want me to get up and pack my bags right now at midnight? I'll do it, Lord, just whatever you call me to. But I, but I remember asking the Lord, I said, but whatever you call me to— I want it to be, like, bigger than myself, so I know it's not a me. Like, I feel like I'm not one of those people that really, like, dreams a lot or, like, envisions things. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I want it to be the Lord, and I want it to scare me and make me uncomfortable. Like, I remember praying that and saying, like, it's going to be of you because it's going to make me uncomfortable, God. And I forgot about that portion of the prayer until Pastor Michael came to me six months ago. And he said... Alicia, you should speak on a Sunday. And I was like, oh, I'm going to pray about it. <laughs> Two months go by, right? And I'm like, and just acting, you know, like he didn't ask me to do that. He's like, Alicia, so when are you going to speak on a Sunday? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, um, I'm going to pray about it now. I will start praying about it now, Pastor Bethel. I'm gonna see what the Lord's leading me to. Two months later, I'm not kidding. This is like six months in the making. He's like, Alicia, we got to put you on the calendar. When are you speaking? And I was like, "Ah." And the Lord was like, Alicia, do you remember what you prayed seven years ago? You prayed that it would make you uncomfortable. You prayed that it would scare you a little bit. Like, let me do what I'm going to do. So I said, all right, Pastor Michael, I'll, I'll I'll go on the calendar. So here we are. We're living in an answer to prayer. The Lord answers prayers. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we're continuing in our old school Sunday school series. And I hope you guys have been really blessed by it. I know I have been. Even growing up in church, like sometimes you just kind of forget these details of these stories and you're like, the Lord did that? That's incredible. So Pastor Michael said, well, how about you speak on the battle of Jericho and the walls falling down? And I said, absolutely pastor michael we need a new building so what we're going to do we're all going to stand up we're going to go march around the walls of this church we're bringing them down y'all know i'm kidding we're going to be in joshua 5 today and but before i jump in i just kind of want to recap to you guys i don't want to assume that you know this story so if you don't you have god delivering the, the israelites out of egypt through his servant moses all right y'all tracking? And he brings them to the edge of the promised land. This is the land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey. You might have heard that term before. And so they send these 12 spies into the promised land and they scope it out and they return back and they say, The land looks great, but there's all these like walled cities in there and there's giants. And I don't know if we can take them. And because of their lack of faith and trust in God, he says, You're gonna wander the desert for 40 years, and the unbelieving generation is gonna pass away until a new generation takes their place. So that's kind of where we're at in the story, okay? Moses has passed away, and God appoints a new leader for the children of Israel. His name is Joshua. And Joshua was kind of Moses' right-hand military guy, right? So he raises him up. Joshua's been there. He was in Egypt. He's been there in the desert all these years. And now it's his time to lead the people into the promised land. And so the Lord delivers them over the Jordan River, right? They have the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, and God is literally holding back the waters of the Jordan River. And the Israelites cross on dry land, and they get to the edge of the promised land again. And once again, they send a couple spies into the land. And they send two spies into the city of Jericho, who was here a few weeks ago. And Pastor Michael taught on Rahab. Yeah. So, Oh, just two people. It was so good. I'm glad y'all were here. Awesome. <laughs> um, but it was awesome. It was a great message. And so we're kind of at that point in the story, okay? So keep up with me. I'm going to be in Joshua three or 5, 13 through 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, just neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off the sandal of your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now there's a lot to unpack right there. Battle hasn't even started yet and I'm about to hit you with three points, okay? But for real, how amazing is this? First of all, I meet people and they say the Old Testament is boring. And I'm like, this is incredible. The, the commander of the army of the Lord is here with his sword drawn. This is insane. So cool. So you have to imagine how Joshua is feeling. Okay, probably a little bit overwhelmed, right? Moses, the leader of the Israelites, has passed away. Now he's going to take the lead on leading them into the promised land. He knows there's a lot of battles there are about to happen. They have to conquer this land. So I'm assuming... He's feeling a little bit nervous, maybe a little bit anxious. And God appears to Joshua. And let's take note of what Joshua does when God appears to him. It says the first thing he does is worships. He falls on his face and he worships God. We see this in scripture all over, that when they encounter God, there's nothing else they can do but fall on their knees and worship the one true God. And then Joshua asks God, What does the Lord say to his servant? Joshua is this like decorated military leader, right? He knows who he is taking commands from, right? He's taking commands from God and he submits himself to him and he says, what do you have to say to me, Lord? And then the Lord says, you're standing on holy ground, remove your sandals. And Joshua immediately does as the Lord commands him. So the first lesson we can learn from Joshua is, A true encounter with God leads to worship, submission, and obedience. I want you to kind of think back and reflect on your life and maybe that encounter you had with God where it changed everything in your life. And I have a feeling it's kind of going to go along with this order of things. But when you encounter God and realize who he is, you have that moment where you go, you are God Almighty, My life does not matter anymore. I am not putting any other idol before you, not my own desire, my own will, not culture, not the world, not a person, not a relationship. You are my God now, and there's nothing else I can do but worship you. But then notice what happens. It leads to submission. We have to submit our lives to Christ, right? And so he says, you're it. You are God Almighty in my life. But that surrender has to lead to obedience, right? And so when God tells Joshua, take off your sandals, Joshua instantly obeys the Lord. I think in my testimony, the obedience thing took several years, an extended period of time. But I want you to reflect back on your life. Has that been the case for your life? Have you experienced worshiping the Lord, submitting to the Lord and being obedient to the Lord? As we keep moving on, we're in Joshua 6, One. So let me set the scene for you. So the first city they come up on in the promised land is the city of Jericho. And in the land of Canaan, Jericho was pretty much known as a great fortress city. They had an amazing military, a strong king. And not only that, but they had amazing walls surrounding the perimeter of the city. So there should be a photo of Jericho behind me. And you'll notice the lower wall, so from the ground to the top of that lower wall, it's about 13 to 15 feet in total height. And then the second, the upper wall, from the ground to the top, it's about 45 feet high. So on all accounts, like winning and taking this city seemed like an impossible feat, right? The odds seemed a little bit stacked against the Israelites. Um, And in the land of Canaan, they're like, yeah, there's no way. So the the people in Jericho had heard about the Israelites. They had heard about their God. They had heard about them crossing the Jordan River. And they're prepared to battle these guys. And they're thinking like, yeah, they don't stand a chance. And I think to most, it would look like an impossible task. But we know that with God, all things are possible, right? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, with God, all things are possible. (sighs) All things are possible. Wow, you guys are such good listeners. I was just seeing if you're awake out there. It's kind of hard. Do you see me doing this? I'm like, can I see people? Are you guys out there? So God is cooking up a plan to get the city of Jericho, and it's about to be good. Are you guys excited? So we're in Joshua 6, 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and mighty men of valor. Come on, the confidence of the Lord already coming to him saying, Hey, The battle is already won. This is amazing. But then he instructs him on what to do. He says, you shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. And for this, you're going to do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's ram's horns before the ark. That is the ark of the covenant. But the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall... Shout! Thank you, front row. Yeah. All the people will shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and then the people shall go up, every man straight before him. That's the plan. That's the plan. Okay. Okay. Now, I am no like my military battle strategy knowledge, it's about negative 10%, okay? I don't know a lot about military strategy, but something tells me that this plan is a little bit different than the norm. I know we have some great military personnel in this house. Am I correct in my thinking? Thank you. I'm looking at you, Cliff. I'm looking at you back there. This seems like an interesting plan on all accounts, if I have to say so myself. I'm thinking like, Maybe battering rams. Y'all ever seen Lord of the Rings? Like the ladders that fling up and they're like climbing up? That's what I'm envisioning. Like th- when I think a plan to conquer a city, that's where my mind is going. And I'm not even an expert. But come on. The Lord has a way better plan than we could ever imagine. And Joshua has no doubt that this plan is going to work. So God gives Joshua this plan. And Joshua goes back to his men and he's like, here we go. This is the plan, guys. And it's going to work. Number one, he knew it was going to work because God told him, well, I've already given you the city. I've already given you the kings and the soldiers. So I have the confidence of the Lord. But also he's seen the Lord provide. He was there in Egypt. He was there in the desert when God literally gave manna from heaven to feed his people, a cloud by day and a column of fire by night to guide them. To guide them. Joshua knew that God was going to provide and that this plan was going to work. I think as believers, we know this. We know that like the plans of God are good. God's plans are better. We tell ourselves that. At least I do. I'm sure I'm sure you guys have as well. But I think the Lord really wanted to prove a point with this first battle for the promised land. And that first point is that the plans of God follow the pace of God. Because we really tend to rush things, don't we? So when God gives this plan to Joshua, he says, hey, for once a day, you're just going to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and you're going to walk around the city, and then you're going to come back to camp, and then you're going to do that again, and you're going to do it again. God's like, put the treadmill on 3.0, all right? Slow and steady wins the race. Because God doesn't have anything to, to prove, right? He's not in a rush to win this battle. He knows his plan's gonna work. And so I think he really wanted them to remember that this battle was gonna be won in a way that looked crazy to man, but followed the place, the pace and the plans of the Lord. And so what does that look like in your life? I think we trust that God has good plans. We tell ourselves that. But I think we really struggle with that second part of that it's in the Lord's timing. And so it's easy to just kind of like scroll on social media and see, like, man, is everyone getting engaged? That's so crazy. How old? 25. I have to get married. That's going to take two years. And then I have to... That was me. I'm speaking from personal experience, guys. I know you guys think that sometimes. And, and that doesn't stop, right? Then you get married. And then you're showing on... And you're like, everyone's having a child. How long? Have... Okay, two years. And then by the time I... I mean, it's crazy how much we feel rushed to complete these tasks, right? And we feel behind. Why don't we just trust God's timing in this? Why don't we just trust that if we daily, it's a daily thing, if we daily follow the prompts of God and are obedient to him in our life, It's the daily getting up and reading your scripture. It's the daily being in prayer with God. It's the daily walking with the Holy Spirit. And these things take time. Are you ready for marriage? Have you been walking with the Lord long enough? Do you have the wisdom that has to come with that? Because wisdom takes time. And I think sometimes we try and jump ahead like 40 paces in front of the Lord. And we're like, okay, I'm good to go. But the Lord's like, hey, will you just walk with me every day? Will you just be with me and be obedient to my plans every day? So that is my encouragement to you. If you have maybe felt the pressure or the, that feeling of like, oh, I'm behind, oh no, like I have to catch up. I think that that comes from, from forcing something, from striving in something. And the Lord saying like, hey, can you just trust my timing and my pace? I'm going to set the pace. You just got to follow. it. So Joshua 6, 6, let's pick back up in the story. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. So repeatedly in this story, you're going to hear about the Ark of the Covenant. It's kind of taking like center stage in this battle. And a little bit about the ark, it is God's physical representation of his throne in heaven here on earth. And if you weren't commanded to touch this thing, you were going to fall down and die. It was pretty intense because it represented the presence of God, right? And so again, this battle was not going to be one that looked like an ordinary battle to man. God was about to show them that he was the one true God and that battles are won by the presence of God and not in our own strength. That's the first thing we can see from that, is that the ark was used to usher in the presence of God. They weren't going to win this by swords and shields and arrows and ladders and battering rams, right? It was going to be the ark of the covenant leading the way, the presence of God encircling the city. And it was going to be a miraculous sign that these walls would fall down flat, and it would prove that he was God. But it's kind of interesting, right? In the, in the Old Testament, you have the Ark of the Covenant, kind of this huge character in the Old Testament. And then when we get to the New Testament, it's gone. But the good news is for believers is that Jesus's death and resurrection was the fulfillment of that. If you guys turn with me in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, it says, "'Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence "'to enter the holy places,' By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtains. There's this new and living way. We no longer have to go into the holiest of holies in the temple, which we wouldn't have even been invited to anyway. There's a new way that we get to encounter the presence of Jesus, or the presence of God, and it's through Jesus. It says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us what? Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean with an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because that's the good news of the gospel, right? Is that not like in the Old Testament where they had to go into the presence of God, the presence of God now lives inside of all believers who claim Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? And so this verse tells us that we are called to now enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We are called to draw near we are called to pray, we are called to worship, and that we do not cower in fear when there is a battle raging around us because God is sitting at the throne and that the presence that was in the Ark of the Covenant is now living inside of us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when Satan comes to kill and to steal and to destroy, which he inevitably will, we know that, when grief enters into your life, which it will, sadly, When confusion starts to settle in, we don't roll over in fear. We use the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us, right? Come on. That's good stuff. Joshua 6, 15, picking up in this story. So they've walked around the city once a day, and it says, So they did this six days, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, come on, we're almost getting to the back of the room next time. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And verse 20 says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted and at the sound of the trumpet, When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. Come on, that's good. The walls fall down. Crazy, right? They didn't even have to, listen. They just marched around the city with the presence of God and the walls of this city fell down. After seven days of being faithful and obedient to the plans of God, the one true God wins the battle again. And remember Rahab, who I touched on a little bit, her and her family are spared because God keeps his promises. And I want to show you guys just a really, really quick, cool, fun fact because I love this. In 1907, a German excavation team was looking at the site of Jericho. And they found that, yeah, surely all the walls had fallen down except one portion of the city on the northern side. There was a wall still up at about eight feet, and there was homes built into that wall. And so we think that that is the home of Rahab and her family. Just again, that we don't read scripture because it's a cool story. We read scripture because it's truth. And it records the history of God and his chosen people and the redemption story of the New Testament and Jesus Christ coming to die and resurrect for our sins. I just thought that was a really, really cool, interesting fact. As we close, though, today, I really want to encourage you guys. One of my favorite chapters in scripture is Hebrews 11. If you guys need to be encouraged, flip that bad boy open and go to Hebrews 11. Pastor Michael calls it the hall of faith. It's full of some OT heavy hitters. And let me tell you, you will be encouraged if you read through their stories and how the Lord used them. And Hebrews 11.30, it says, by faith. By what? Faith. I love having Michael on the front row. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, Joshua and the Israelites obeyed the plans of God. They did something with the faith that they had in Christ Jesus. They put their faith into action. So I also want you guys to notice in James 2, 25 through 26, it also mentions Rahab and the spies. And it says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Just like Joshua, just like the Israelites, just like Rahab, they had faith in God to fulfill his plans but that faith led to obedience. So my question for you today is, has your faith led to doing? When was the last time that your faith, your knowledge of God caused an action or a response in your life? Because maybe you've been like me where I was seven years ago, beating yourself up for jumping into a bad decision once again. And maybe, like me, you had faith that God was God, and that Scripture was Scripture, and you knew it. But like me, you hadn't let that knowledge transform your life. So, has your head knowledge of God and belief in Christ Jesus has actually marked your life by repentance and by surrender and by obedience to follow God wherever? or whenever, or to whatever he wants you to do. Our faith should lead us to obedience, right? The cool part about this story, among so many amazing things that the Lord did through this battle, was that he didn't need the Israelites to march around the city to accomplish his goals, right? It's God. He created the universe. He could have brought the walls down by himself but he wanted to use the Israelites. And he wants to partner with us as well in ministry. In our daily life, God wants to partner with us to make a difference. And we know what that call is. We know scripture tells us to go and to share the gospel. It calls us to build disciples, calls us to encourage one another. It calls us to help those in need. We know the call on our life but are we going to be obedient to the Lord to actually do those things? When was the last time that you got uncomfortable for the Lord? That something made you nervous for the Lord? So let's stand and pray today. If you guys need prayer, our prayer team will be up front for you guys, but I just hope you are encouraged that the plans of God are good. And I hope you're encouraged that the faith that you have can lead to transformation in your life. You are not stuck where you are. If the Lord can use me on the stage, he can use any of us. So let's lift our praise to him today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for redemption, God. Thank you for repentance, Lord. Thank you that you can bring us to our knees in your presence, Lord. Lord, I just pray that the faith in this room, God, that these people that know you and know you are good, Lord, I just pray that it leads us to obedience, to go out to the ends of the earth, God, in our families, in our friendships, in the lives of our coworkers and our friends, God, to the stranger on the street, Lord. I just pray that we are obedient to you, God, that we get up daily and we walk at your pace, Lord. Lord, thank you for the body of believers, for encouraging us, for bringing us together, God. Lord, I just pray that we're reminded that our lives are for you and that your promises are good and that your plans are better. Lord, we praise your holy and precious name. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope y'all have a great day. Y'all are so kind. Y'all are so sweet. Have a blessed day. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook or Instagram for updates, service info, and ways to get involved here at Ocean's Church. Be sure to give this episode a rating as it allows us to connect more people to Jesus. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again soon.